Amen. Great job, guys. Thank you. So thankful to be in a church that believes in students and uh, being a part of a community like that. My name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, hopefully you came in this morning, you got a worship folder. Inside of it has tons of things that are happening uh, this summer for students and kids, and uh, on the back here you, you see camps and graduation Sundays and VBS and all kinds of ways that kids and, and youth can get involved. You need to begin to pray now for me. Uh, I will be going to teen camp uh, for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, yes, due to a slight scheduling conflict, Eddie is going to be in the mountains of Colorado while I'll be in the, the beautiful heat of Texas uh, with our students, and it's going to be a great week. And so if you haven't signed up for camp, absolutely do that. If you're a guest with us, so glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, pastor Michelle, our spunky community life pastor, is going to be spunky. That, it just came to me. Uh, Spunky, uh, she'll be out here past this wall here, and she's got a gift for you. She'd love to connect with you, and there's lots of ways that you can get involved. It's hard to believe that it's been three years now uh, since, uh, and actually three years this month, where when our senior pastor, our lead pastor, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, took the post as district superintendent of the uh, district of the South Texas district. That's uh, basically, for those of you who don't speak Nazarene, that is... He is the leader of 90 churches across South Texas, uh, from one side of the state to the other. And uh, he is a pastor to pastors and provides leadership for all of these churches. And uh, before that, though, he was our pastor for 12 years uh, here. Yeah. How many of you were there uh, during that time? He is, uh, he's uh, been an amazing uh, pastor for us and a great leader while he was here. He is a, a lover of sports, uh, all things Oklahoma, a, an amazing golfer, uh, a great family man, and generally he just smells uh, really uh, good most of the time. Uh, and uh, by the way, he's my boss as well. Uh, just throw that in there. Still, still my boss. Uh, but... Uh, you know what? If you know Jeffrey, he is, uh, he's an amazing friend, and uh, he is a person that has been a, as I think about Paul when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, he, is, he embodies that with everything that he does, and uh, just thankful for his uh, leadership and, and mentorship in my life, and excited that he's going to come and share with us this morning. Thank you. That's quite the introduction, Matt. By your lunch sometime. That's, that's good. Great to see all of you. And one of the, one of the joys uh, of being here today is to look around and see so many new faces. Um, I love the fact that I don't recognize some of you. I think that's a sign of a healthy church. I think that's a, that's a great thing today. We were back in the, uh, in the side room here before, before service today uh, having prayer with the worship team. And I didn't recognize several of the, of the young people. And I thought that was, that was great. And then Pastor Garen made note of the fact that he was so thankful today to have decades of experience back there. And that just hurt just, just a little bit uh, to think of when, I, when we came here in 2001 that I was in my mid-30s, and now here I am rapidly approaching my mid-50s. That does, that does hurt just a little bit. But uh, great to be with you today, great to worship with you, and uh, beautiful spirit and songs. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, 
I do want you to, to remember all your brothers and sisters, uh, Nazarenes across South Texas and the 90-some congregations that we have. I tell everybody everywhere I go that uh, they're worshiping this morning in English, in Spanish, Korean, and even in cowboy. And, and it's a very Texan thing. And please pray for, uh, for many of your brothers and sisters there. We have five churches right now that uh, are looking for pastors, and we need God's wisdom and direction and guidance. Uh, on all of that. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for letting us uh, be here today. And uh, I want you to, uh, to hang on to this quote for, for the rest of uh, the morning and, and maybe a little bit later it'll make more sense to you. A lady named uh, Gracia Burnham said a few years ago, I learned in the jungle, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to trust. I learned in the jungle you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to trust. The passage we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter 14 is one of those passages in the Bible that you sometimes, when you read certain passages in the Bible, you kind of wish maybe that it wasn't in there. You, you, just, you read it and you're not sure how to feel about it. There's a little bit of a do you know, uh, we've got a, a holiday weekend here, and, and some of you will be with family and friends today and maybe tomorrow, and that. And do, do any of y'all have that person in your family or your friend group that you're never quite sure what they're going to say, and as soon as they start to talk, you, you just kind of just cringe just a little, like, what's going to come out? What are they going to say? Just a little, eh. You know, and then when they finish, you go, oh, I wish they hadn't said that. You know, it's, it, it's, it's that this passage is one of those in the Bible that has that feel to it a little bit, at least to me. So look with me, um, if you will, at um, Luke chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading verse 25. It says this, A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Are you cringing a little bit? Otherwise, he said, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin, he said, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. This is kind of one of those passages where I just... At times, if I'm honest, I want to say, hey, Jesus, calm down just a little bit. Just, just relax a little bit. Take a deep breath. Are you serious about all this? I mean, I love my family. I mean, my wife, my beautiful daughters, one of my 
sons-in-laws here. The other one's leading worship in a, in a place in Oklahoma this weekend. And, and my granddaughter's down the hall. I mean, I love my family. I love my friends. Many in this room. So it's kind of like, you must, by comparison, ah, Jesus. The account of Jesus sharing these words, speaking to the crowd, carries some, some powerful weight when you really stop and listen. And if you can kind of get the picture that I get in my head, when the introduction there in verse 25 where it says a large crowd was following Jesus. So you just kind of get this picture of Jesus walking along and there's a big group of people following him. And all of a sudden he stops and everybody stops and maybe bumps into each other. And he turns around and looks to them and says these words. He's very, very strong words. And these very strong words raise some very important questions for us today. And those questions will lead us to one bottom line. First off is this. If you say you are a Christian today, if you would identify yourself as Christian, or the term a lot of times that we hear these days is if you would identify yourself as a Christ follower, are you really who you say you are? Are you really and truly a Christ follower. Pastor Matt gave me quite the introduction there, you know, about following me as I follow somewhere, sports or something. I don't know what it was. And, and you know, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Whew. Strong words. At times, I've had people come up to me and, and they say things like, man, you know, God really used you has blessed you and that spoke to me and you must really be a man of God and I just kind of go, hey, am I really? Am, I'm, wow, that's, that's tough to live up to. You recognize the New Testament language calls all true believers, all true believers, the word that we all often see translated in English as believer is the word literally that, that where we, we get the word saint. We tend to think of saints as super-Christians that you name churches and places and, and jewelry after and that kind of stuff. But, but the New Testament calls all true believers saints, a saint of God. Are you comfortable looking at the person next to you and saying, you are a saint of God? I see some uncertainty. How about this question? Would you be comfortable being called a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would that, fit, would that be a fitting description for you? And, and if so, keep in mind the words of Jesus from our scripture today. And on this, this weekend... Looking to tomorrow when we remember the cost for, for the freedoms we enjoy here, we ask this question. What does it cost to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? What's the true cost of that? You know, when you buy stuff, this would be a lesson for the young people here. When you buy, when you buy certain things, there's always costs that aren't quite revealed on the sticker. When you buy a house, there's some additional cost there. Trust me. 
When, when you buy a car, there's a little more than just what you see advertised on the, that big number on the screen or, or on the sticker when you first look at the, at the window. There's some, some other hidden stuff in there. Remember one time I was, I think it was uh, my second or third, maybe my third car that I've ever owned. I was about 19 years old. And I relied on my dad a lot in those days when we were making car deals. He enjoyed that and did it quite a bit. And so we, we believed it was time for me to trade in this little Pontiac I had and get a little better vehicle. I'm 19 years old, and we walk in to Capital Chevrolet on Murfreesboro Road in Nashville, Tennessee, down the road from Trevecca Nazarene University where I was going to school. And, and uh, we go in this little office in the, in the, in the car lot, you know, the little, the little glass office. If you've ever been in there, and we go in there, and there's two chairs, and we sit down across the desk from the car salesman. And he's been out, and he's taking a look at my car, and we're going to do some, some kind of possible trade, a car deal or whatever. And he said a couple of things and wrote some numbers down and then pushed this sheet of paper across the desk, you know, towards us. And my dad leaned up and looked at it. And he got up from his chair, and I'm still sitting there like this. And my dad gets up from his chair, and he goes, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. And he just walked out the door and just left me sitting there staring at this guy. And I just kind of nodded at him and then followed, you know, followed my dad. Evidently, there was some cost there that my dad didn't think was worth it. It's been interesting over the years to, to counsel young couples coming in for, for premarital counseling for marriage and you try to talk to them a little bit about, about the cost of things and the financial aspects of things. And, and at times I wanted to say, do you, do you have any idea of the cost, not just of the material things, but do you have any idea of the cost and the commitment that's going to be required of you? Now back to the context of of Jesus' statements in Luke 14. In, in the culture that Jesus was in, and in, in that Hebrew-Jewish culture there in that day, uh, boys were, were, were instructed or told that they should memorize the Torah by age 12. That's the first five books of the Bible. The law, or the Pentateuch as it's sometimes called. And, and they were encouraged to memorize that by, the, by age 12. And if and by age 12, girls would, would normally be done with any formal education in that society, but boys were then challenged to go on. And if they'd memorized those first five books of the Bible at age 12, they were challenged to memorize all the prophets by age 15. And then they would be under the guidance of a rabbi or a master teacher. Now, Jesus was considered to be a rabbi. And if a young man showed promise... And he'd done well with the law and the prophets. He would be challenged to complete memorization of all 39 books of the Old Testament. Quite a task. Anybody here done that? Hmm, not very well educated, I see. Hmm. <laughs> and then many of them would, would ask the rabbi, if they'd made that progression, they would ask the rabbi, how can I be a rabbi? And the answer was, Follow me. 
literally follow me. Literally, they would begin to follow him wherever he went. And sometimes they might not even be directly acknowledged for like six months. They're just following along and never called by name, never given a task, never told what to do. Just follow him wherever he, he might go. And then maybe they'd be told, if they were, seemed to be following well, they might be told, you have some potential. Someday you just might possibly make it to be a rabbi. So follow me. And they did. Everywhere. Usually trying to say, stay downwind so, so that the dust of the rabbi's sandals would, would blow off on them somehow. And they might receive some of that blessing or whatever it was. Literally, they even followed the rabbi off the trail when he followed the call of nature. Are you with me? <laughs> so that even then they might hear the kind of prayer he would pray on the way. Which, I, that's his family Sunday, but I, I just got to think, those prayers, I would just say those prayers are probably universally very simple. And, uh, and, and simple and sincere. Just simple things like, oh, dear Lord. I mean, just something, <laughs> something along those lines, I would think. I better move on. You get the picture, though, don't you? You get the picture. Jesus' disciples went everywhere with him. Because like those other young men that I've been describing, they wanted to be like their rabbi. Their circumstances were different, though. Guys like Peter and Andrew, James and John, they didn't get selected to be a part of any prestigious rabbi's school. Instead, Jesus sought them out, went and found them at their fishing boats and said, I've chosen you. Come follow me. And you know what? He's done the same with you. Today, Jesus says, whosoever will, come follow me. So here's another question. How badly do you want to become like Jesus? And you might say, come on, come on, Pastor Jeffrey, you, you don't really think that Jesus has the same expectations of me as he did those 12 disciples that were literally following him down the road that day. Well, let, let's, let's read the words again. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother and wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Those are tough words. But listen to me. Catch this. Jesus knows that if you will do that today, if you will commit to following him in this way, to truly being his disciple, 
He knows that all the other things in life and all the relationships and things that you hold dear will be held in his hands. And he is for you and not against you as we've sung this morning. The devoted students and followers had one and only one goal, to be like the rabbi, no matter the cost. In uh, 2002, there was a really big story that hit the news, and not just church news. It, just, it was on the news worldwide. Millions of people followed uh, the kidnapping of missionaries, a couple in the Philippines named Martin and Gracia Burnham. They were taken hostage by a Filipino terror group known as Abu Sayyaf, um, a, a jihadist group there in that part of the world. And they were held for more than a year before a rescue attempt resulted in Martin's death and Gracia's release. Martin was a, a mission aviation pilot. He flew in medical supplies into remote places for medical missionaries to do work in areas where it was hard to receive medical care. Gracia often stayed with her, with her three children, but also was helping to coordinate things and, and work things out so that Martin had everything he needed to take to those places to do important work. And the couple um, decided to go to a kind of a resort in that part of the world in the Philippines called Palawan for, to celebrate their 18th wedding anniversary when this terrorist group came in and kidnapped them and more than a dozen other people. They were primarily looking, hoping that these were European business people that they could, they could take and kidnap and get ransoms for. They were disappointed when they found out that Martin and Gracia were, were Americans because Americans typically don't do well at playing the ransom game. One of their, uh, one of their co-workers, a medical doctor, Dr. Alan Melikor said that Martin was the best pilot he'd ever seen. And he often flew Dr. Melikor to remote villages to see patients. And he reflected back when they were taken, and he, he thought about Martin and Gracia and, and how he felt like they really reflected the persona of, of Jesus, of, of true followers. And, and he said to, to God, why, why them? Why Martin and Gracia? Why did this happen to them. And he felt like the Lord said back to him, well, why not them? Because I think the people who have taken them are really seeing what Christians ought to be about. Lambs among the wolves. They were held in captivity for so long and, uh, and often, often beaten and, and all of that, and at times others had been killed, others had been released because ransom had been paid, but they continued to take Martin and Gracia with them. And, and obviously many people were praying for them, and they were praying desperately and trying to make sense of this whole mess. Martin made a decision fairly, fairly soon into their captivity that he felt like God was telling him that he needed to become a servant to those men that held them captive. He needed to do everything he could to serve them somehow, in Jesus' name. Gracia talked about how one day, because of some favor that Martin had found with one of the terrorists, they had been given a small radio. And they were dialing around trying to find some English-speaking programs or songs or something somehow. 
uh, when what they considered a miracle occurred. She said they found a, a Christian radio station that was broadcasting out of Alaska and tuned right in as a pastor was talking about how, God's, how about God is in heaven and Christ sits at his right hand making intercession for us. And the pastor said, if you could hear Jesus in the next room praying for you right now, you would not be afraid of anything. And then he prayed for people in war-torn areas and people who were being oppressed because of their faith. And Gracia said, we looked at each other and said, this man is talking to us and he's praying for us. And he said it was the first, she said it was the first spiritual input that we'd had in a year. And God had sent us a message at our lowest moment. And she said, I'm just so thankful to him for his goodness. Amazingly, Gracia later met that pastor in person after a release. She said, I, 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 um, I had moments where I wondered about what we were doing and what we were facing. She said, I had some opportunities to think through things. And someone once asked her, did you have a chance to say goodbye to Martin? And she said, oh, I said goodbye to Martin several times during our captivity. She said, one day we were being shelled by artillery and they were shooting from 10 miles away and the artillery from the Philippine army was landing all around us and I looked at Martin and I said, I need to say goodbye to you. I want to say everything I want to say now before it's too late. They asked her, what did you say? And she said, I said, I'm glad I married you. I'm glad we had a good marriage. I'm glad we came to the Philippines. I would never choose to have not done what we did. Thank you for being a good husband. I'm so glad God gave us the children he gave us. She said, I was able to say all those things. So she'd said all those things earlier on before he was actually killed in that rescue attempt. Later, somebody asked her, those people took so much from you. They took a year of your life, and most of all, they took your husband, took you away from your children, being cared for by somebody else, and they had no idea where you were. How do you find forgiveness for something like that? Gracia said, I think that God came and did something in my heart. She said, I asked God, would you build forgiveness in my life would you somehow help me start to love these men and he did it you know what the amazing report is several years later several members of that abu sayaf group have come to know the lord jesus because she chose to forgive she began a ministry the martin and gracia burnham foundation to reach Muslims in the Philippines. And she said, some of the very guys that held us hostage got a hold of some of the things that we printed and it impacted their life. And somehow God used that to reach them and change their life. There's somewhat of a nice ending there, but a really, really high cost was paid. 
What's your one supreme goal? What's your one supreme goal today? You sit here in church this morning. Is it to do better? I want to do better. Is it to go to church more? That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it, Pastor Matt? Yeah, that'd be good. Is it uh, to read your Bible more, to pray more? Excellent things. How about tithing? That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it, Pastor? You receive that, yeah? How about become a, a nicer, better person? How about, you know, maybe improve your language or drink less or be careful about what you read and watch and listen to? Those are, those are good things. I think those are all good things. But what is your one supreme goal? I think Jesus would say, it should be to be like the one that you say you follow. Well, you're talking about the cost of discipleship. Pastor Jeffrey, I mean, so what does it cost? How much you got? How much do you have? Sounds like a high cost. Are you sure about that? It seems pretty apparent right here. Is it worth it? Maybe a handful or more this morning would say with me, absolutely it is. You bet your eternal life it's worth it. And there's a really, on the other hand, I want to make this clear, but not start another sermon. There's really a really high cost for not being a true disciple of Jesus. The scripture describes it this way. The wages or the payment or the cost of sin is death. And not just your physical death when you die. It's the death of things that are valuable. The payment and the cost for following your own way and following the, the path of sin instead of Jesus, the payment for that is death. It's, it's the death of marriages, the death of friendships, the death of so many things that we would hold dear. But what does it say in that same verse? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. 1990. Two, I went on a mission trip. I was a youth pastor and uh, took a, a group of teenagers and sponsors on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And, and uh, we took a, a trip to the Dominican Republic from here, I think, in 2004. And I believe Pastor Matt told me this morning that you, you're starting a partnership um, for, for a mission team in, in the Dominican Republic. I, I love, love to hear that kind of thing. We were there, and, and on, on, if, if you know the geography, in the Caribbean, um, the, 
the Dominican Republic and the nation of Haiti share an island together. I believe it's the island of Hispaniola. And uh, it's kind of split, I don't know, maybe halfway down the middle or maybe a third and two-thirds, something like that. And, and if, if you know about things that have, have happened over, you know, many, many decades, typically uh, Haiti is known to be like the poorest country in our hemisphere. And they've had so many devastating things happen there, natural disasters and, and then just awful corruption and government. And it's just, it's a tough sad poor place and the Dominican Republic is not a, a real well-off country but but it shares that island and they they look down generally upon the Haitians so we left Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic and we drove towards the border we were still inside the Dominican Republic and the lowest job on the island there is to cut the sugarcane in the sugarcane fields and so many of the Haitians migrate across the border and do those low, low jobs that others won't do. And so we were there and basically the government, the Dominican government had built these concrete slabs with walls and places for windows and doors, but there, there were no windows or doors. There was no electricity. It was just like stalls that people lived in out in the middle of the sugar cane that was at that time as as tall as, as I was. And it's the first time I'd seen in person, in real life, some of those kids that you see on the, on the television commercials who, because of malnutrition, are losing their hair or have the distended stomachs. Some of them weren't wearing clothes. They had told us to bring candy with us to give to the kids. And I later felt like, I don't know if that's a great idea because when we would begin to hand that candy out, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, they would come at it like dogs. A pack of dogs going for stuff you throw out on the ground. We, we stood on the back of a truck and talked to the people and sang some songs. And we had brought, we had brought uh, two 100-pound bags of rice that we were giving to a, a pastor who was ministering to the people and living there among them. He was getting on in years and he'd, he, had, he had lost one of his legs. And I, I asked the missionary, what's, what's the story here? And he says, oh, he has diabetes and he's lost that leg and it won't be long before he loses the other one. And I said, well, what's, what's he gonna do with all this, this rice? And he said, he's gonna take it to, to where he lives and the people will come and he will distribute it out to all of them until it's all gone. And I wanted to say, well, is there not this you know, does he have to be here? Is there some way? He seems a very capable person. Couldn't he maybe get out to a better place? And then it occurred to me, maybe he doesn't want out. Maybe he believes this is where God has called him. Maybe he believes this is where Jesus is. This is where he's followed Jesus too. Seems like he'd counted the cost and found it worth it. You know what Gracia and Martin Burnham's son Jeff became? What he does today? <laughs> he's a mission aviation pilot in Botswana, Africa. think he had any idea of the cost 
I love the often quoted line in uh, C.S. Lewis' work, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the young boy hears about Aslan, you know, the God character in the story, Jesus' character, the lion, and he says, is he quite safe? And the answer is, no, he's not safe, but he is good. To be a disciple of Jesus, is it quite safe? No, I don't think that's the best word to use. But it is good. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we love you today. We're so grateful for your mercy and grace. So incredibly thankful that you would, you would pay the price that you paid for us. And you knew the cost and it was so heavy and so high. So much so that you asked your father if there might not be some other way. But we're here today because you said, not my will, but your will be done. We thank you for that. And Lord, I pray today that you will help us to be grateful people for, for those that have paid a price for our freedom here in this country, but even more so, I pray that you would help us to be people that would be willing to pay the cost to follow you and reap the eternal life that only you give. We'd be willing to pay the cost so that we might point others in your direction and they'd receive the peace and grace and hope and strength that only you can provide. And Lord, for any brothers and sisters that are here today that are going through a very, very difficult time, and it's hard to hold on to faith in you because of that, the uncertainty seems enormous. The future is frightening if things continue in this way, and, and it's hard to just continue to look towards you and, and perhaps even struggling to hear your voice or know where you're leading. I pray today that you would somehow through your Holy Spirit, just reassure each one to say, you can trust me. Keep following me. Keep following me. I'm leading you somewhere. I'm leading you to a place where I am. And where I am is the best place. Lord, help us to receive that today. Keep our hope and trust in you and be willing to give our all to you. Thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Earlier we sang a song that embodies this word from the Lord uh, called The Cost. And oftentimes uh, we have a chance to respond uh, to God's word. Maybe it's an action step or we've heard some questions this morning. Sometimes it's a, an altar call. Thank God the response for us today is if you're willing to affirm what we've heard this morning. Would you sing these words? Would you take these words to heart? Would you proclaim these words this morning that you've counted up the cost? And yes, it's worth it. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope uh, that the next uh, several hours is uh, just full of lots of memories with your family. I just invite you to slow down the next day. You know, we have these days that are vacation days and hopefully you get some time off tomorrow but just 
enjoy that time. Soak up that time with your family. Take some uh, mental pictures and, and slow down and just relish that time. As we leave this morning, Pastor Michelle is going to be outside. We'd love for to, to connect with you. And, and if you've had something on your heart and your mind, maybe God's been, you've been wrestling with God about something this morning or this week, uh, Pastor Eddie, Pastor Garen, and I are going to be up here. We'd love to chat with you about what God's talking to you about. Have a great week and go in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.